This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. The Lifeway Women app provides encouragement, connection, and tools as you study God's Word. You'll find Bible study enhancements to go along your favorite studies, including How Much More by Lisa Harper. Whether you're studying on your own or with a group, this app will give you the flexibility and accountability to keep you in the Word. To get started, download the Lifeway Women app for free in the Apple Store or Google Play Store. Hello and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Heineman and I am here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Kelly. Hey, Elizabeth. Let's tell our audience a little bit about what's happening this summer. I know. It is so exciting. So we have been, for the past few summers, we have been blessed and able to release to y'all the audio teaching from some of our Bible studies. And we are so excited because this summer we are bringing to you, to your ears, the audio sessions of How Much More, a Bible study by Lisa Harper. And so tell us a little bit more about how this is all going to work, Kelly. Absolutely. So on Mondays, we'll release one new audio teaching session each week. And we're going to leave all of the episodes up until the end of August, so August 31st. So if you get a couple weeks behind or maybe you're on vacation, we want to make sure that you're able to catch up and do that. So what we want you to do is we want you to go to lifeway.com slash how much more, and we really want you to purchase the Bible study book because it's going to help you really learn more than just listening to the audio, but work alongside of it with the study book. And that link is going to be in the show notes as well. And we just know that y'all are going to be so blessed by this study. And so we're excited to get to bring it to you. So here is Lisa Harper. Welcome to session seven of our How Much More tour through the Bible. I cannot believe that we're at the last pit stop of the study, y'all. I'm not quite ready for it to end. I feel like I do when Missy and I go to our favorite Mexican restaurant. It's not far from our house and we always get chips and queso. And when there's still a little bit of queso at the bottom of the bowl, but there are no more tortilla chips in the basket, both of us are just so discombobulated. It's like, oh, we should have more chips because there's still more cheese goo to scoop out. And that's how I feel now. I just, I'm not quite ready to say goodbye. I'm, I'm a little discombobulated by this ending. Um, speaking of, one of my favorite theologians, modern theologian, I love all the dead guys, but this guy's still alive and kicking. His name is Dr. Craig Keener. And one of his books, Spirit Hermeneutics, I think should be on everybody's must-read list. But Dr. Keener says this about God's Word. He says, if you get out of the Bible what you expected to get out of the Bible, you need to change your expectations. And I wholeheartedly agree with his assessment because I'm 57 years old. I've been reading this supernatural love story for as long as I can remember, and it just gets better. 
the more I invest my heart and my mind into God's Word, it just, it gets bigger. It's, it's more transformational. Uh, contrary to popular belief, this, this book is anything but boring. Now, since I've already confessed that I'm not quite ready to say goodbye, let's go on just a few more adventures together. And as Dr. Keener says, let's try to raise the bar of our expectations with regards to God's Word. And let's start at the very beginning. So turn to Genesis chapter 1, either in your brick and mortar Bible or on your iPad. And let's look at the very first words God breathes. This is Genesis chapter 1, and I'm starting at verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Now, you're probably familiar with that passage, and it may not sound that exciting to you until you consider the context the context that God breathed these words into. Remember the Israelites, and that's this people group, this this people group that God set his favor on. He made them a theocracy uh, because they were an illustration of the covenantal love that he wants to have with all of us, with all of mankind. So he, he sets his favor on this theocracy. And you remember they had spent 400 years in captivity in Egypt. And you probably remember that God text Moses through a flaming topiary and told him, I want you to lead my people. I want you to lead these Israelites out of captivity. And he led them out of captivity into the promised land. And they had to be discombobulated. You know, their, their only understanding was as slaves. They had been slaves. Their grandparents had been slaves. Their great-great-grandparents had been slaves. That was their only frame of reverence was slavery. And now they've seen all these things that surely blew their hard drive. They've, they've seen the plagues come in. They saw the Red Sea split in half so they could walk through it on dry land. They had just watched the Egyptian army get swallowed up by that same Red Sea. And now here they are sitting in the sand around the base of Mount Sinai, just having been rescued all those decades as slaves. And now here they are sitting in freedom. They didn't know what to do with freedom. They've got manna raining down like Krispy Kremes from heaven. God is hovering over them as an affectionate, protective parent. Have you ever wondered why in that context, the first words they hear from God, they aren't, they aren't words about systematic theology. They're words about creation. Remember, they've just come out from captivity in Egypt. And the Egyptian idea of creation was their creator, God, and I say that with a little g, their creator, God, his name was Ra. He was the sun god. And he came up in the morning and he beat down mercilessly on them as they were making bricks out of clay and and mud. And then according to pagan culture, the Egyptian idea, when Ra went down, he went to the underworld. He took a boat to the underworld where he did battle with this giant evil sea serpent. 
And so during the night, there was a battle raging in the underworld, or so they thought in Egypt. That's, that's all the Israelites knew. Initially, they were afraid of the water. They were afraid of the dark. And then the Egyptians taught them that if the sun came up, that was essentially Ra, this sun deity, being reincarnated, and then he would be hovering over the earth again for another 12 to 18 hours, beating down mercilessly on their backs. That's all they knew. 365 days a year, they knew that kind of oppressive heat. They knew that they had this faraway God who really didn't have any value for them. They didn't have vacation days. They didn't have the option of working remotely. There was no hope at the end of the tunnel. And so God starts the story to these just rescued slaves, now free, but they have no idea what to do with freedom. He starts the story by reframing creation. He says, no, the sun is not a God. I breathed the sun into existence and I hung the, the sun and the moon and the stars in the skies to give you warmth and to give you light because I love you, because you're my people. I created you in my image because you matter to me. He completely reframed the story of creation so that they would begin to understand I matter. If you don't get creation the way that God wrote creation, you don't get your identity. You don't get human value, this supernatural love story that contextualizes us, mankind, as the object of God's affection. It's not just the beginning of the book, it's the genesis of healthy human dignity. I've quoted one of my seminary professors a lot in this class. His name is Dr. Jim Howard. And I've quoted him partly because he's the, the leader of my dissertation team and I want to pass, but mostly because Dr. Howard has given me a framework that I didn't have prior to this go around in seminary that has just revitalized the way I study scripture, the way I engage with scripture. He gave us three hermeneutical keys. He said that scripture is always, it always re reveals that God is in the process of mitigating evil. Scripture reveals that God is always, always has been, always will be in the process of restoring human dignity. He breathed us into existence as Imago Dei, as his image bears. We bear God's thumbprint, whether or not you know him yet as your savior, you have inherent dignity. And that scripture reveals that God always has been and always will be in the process of pointing us toward the true north of Jesus Christ. That's our story. And when you lose that story, you lose what it is to be valued. You, you lose your identity. We go back to what culture says about us what a godless culture says. So I wanna look at, at another story in scripture that's sobering because you see in 2 Kings what happens when God's people lose our story, this template that he's given us to do life by. And you see it in 2 Kings. We're just gonna look at a couple of passages in 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23. And we'll start at the beginning of 22. The story starts with a cute bang because we're told the 16th king of Southern Israel of Judah is a second grader. 
He's an eight-year-old king. Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jediah, daughter of Adiah of Bozkath. I wouldn't encourage you to name your kids those names. You'll never find a keychain in Gatlinburg. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David, his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. So you've got the second grader for a king, and soon after he's installed as the 16th king of Judah, his high priest, this is in verse, verse 8, named Hilkiah, Micaiah said to Shaphan, the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. They had lost the Bible. They had lost their own story. And what I'm going to read next, y'all, proves that the Bible, this is not just a plumb line. It's a lifeline. If you lose this story, we completely lose our identity. We lose our value. The secretary reads the book of the law, and, they, and then they bring it into Josiah, the king. And when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. That's a sign of grief in that era. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the priest, and Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, and Ak. Well, I don't know, a bunch of hard words. He commands them, go inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that has been found. In other words, we've got to align our, our lives. We've got to align our culture by what God says, not by what culture says. And right after he learns these words that have been forgotten by God's people, the story God wrote for his people after Josiah rediscovers the word, he over and over again gets rid of the high places. Verse 13 of chapter 23 says, And the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem to the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon the king of Israel had built for Ashtorah, the abomination of the Sidonians, and for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, and for Milcon, the abomination of the Ammonites. And he broke in pieces the pillars on the high places. It goes on to say, moreover, at the altar of Bethel, the high place erected by Jeroboam, another king, the son of Nepot, who made Israel to sin. That altar with a high place he pulled down and burned, reducing it to, to dust. And three more times we read in 2 Kings that Josiah, this young king who had reconnected with the word of God, he gets rid of the high places. And you may have heard that the high places included idolatry, but I bet you haven't heard just how colorful their idolatry was, how far that they had wandered from the Word of God, because we're not just prone to wander. We are prone to get haplessly lost without these promises and parameters God has given us for us to have abundant life. During the time of Josiah, the high places were where God's people, the Israelites, practiced fertility rites. And what was going on was they had gone back, they had slid back to pagan fears and superstitions. And in the absence of a body of physical science, ancient people didn't understand what rain was, what caused precipitation. And the Egyptians decided that precipitation rain happened when the gods, remember they believed in not one true God, they believed in a pantheon of little deities that weren't true. They believed that when those little deities had a party and got physical with each other, that one of the byproducts was rain. And so they thought when there's a 
an inappropriate party in the heavenlies, then it rains. They believe the sound of thunder was the male deities chasing the female deities around trying to get jiggy with it. And so in the absence of a body of science where they understood where rain came from, in the absence of their story, but desperate for rain, they were an agricultural society, they had to have rain for the crops to grow so they could eat. The Israelites, God's people, would hike to the high places because they reasoned, if we're up high, the gods, the pantheon, can peer over and see us. And they practiced some really horrific, uh, very distorted sexual practices on the high places so that they could titillate the gods, manipulate the gods, and then maybe the gods would have a big wild party and the byproduct would be rain and then their crops would grow and they could eat. And Josiah says, that's not at all how God wrote the story. You don't have to abuse yourself or exploit someone else sexually. You don't have to degrade yourselves. Our God loves us. Our God makes it rain because He wants us to thrive. He wants our crops to grow. Y'all, apart from God's Word, we go to crazy places that culture says, this is how you should align your life. Y'all, Josiah's story, the Israelites' story, human history, biblical history, they prove over and over and over again that without these life-giving promises and parameters in God's Word, we will lose our way. We'll lose our dignity. We'll lose our identity if we don't align our lives with God's Word. The bad news of human history is we make a habit of distorting God's image. One of my favorite long-dead theologians, a guy named Blaise Pascal from the 1600s, he said this. He said, God made man in his own image, and then we returned the favor. The overriding great news is that our Creator Redeemer has made it His sovereign business to correct our distortions, to reveal Himself to us in a way that we go, oh, there's my story. Our hearts resonate with who God has called us to be, with how much we, we are loved and valued when we, when we dive into this book. This is not a rule book. It's not a collection of divine uh, morality tales. This is at its core a love story, but it's not simplistic. We actually have to put some time and energy into understanding the context of these stories. We've got to dive into the life of Ezekiel and of of Ruth, of, of Zelophehad's daughters, of Priscilla and Aquila. And when you begin to see how God was framing their stories, you go, oh, he's done that for me. Oh my goodness, he's always been mitigating evil in my own story. He's always been restoring my dignity. He's always been pointing me toward the true north of Jesus Christ. This book, it'll change your life. About 20 years ago in my little story as a Bible teacher, God used this small event um, to hugely change 
the trajectory of my life and my ministry, my commitment actually to God's Word being the hub of what I do vocationally. Um, I had been invited to, to speak at a small church, small women's event on the outskirts of Chattanooga. And I can still remember walking in early Saturday morning to this event. All the women were filing in to the sanctuary. And there is this one woman who came after everybody had gotten seated, she came in a little late, came in the back door of the sanctuary and she caught my attention, one, because she was late, uh, secondly, because she didn't sit down, she didn't come and sit where the rest of the women were, she remained standing at the back, and then she just didn't look like everybody else. She wasn't wearing the, you know, the sweater sets and stretchy pants, didn't have a quilted Bible cover. She just, she looked a, a, a little wilder. She was wearing a, a form-fitting dress, very low cut. She had, you know, kind of wild Saturday Night Live hair, not kind of the requisite Baptist poof. And so she caught my attention and I assumed because she was standing in the back of the room, she didn't look like she fit hadn't engaged with the group. I, I kind of assumed she'd be gone by lunchtime, but she wasn't. She was still there midway through the day, so I was pleasantly surprised by that. And I was much more encouraged, deeply affected, that she raised her hand at the end of the day. We had a time where we gave an invitation for women to, to pray, to commit their lives and their hearts to Jesus Christ, to lean in to the unconditional love of God. And this woman raised her hand and I got to pray with her to commit her life to Christ. Her name was Debbie and found out her name when I started talking to her after we prayed together. Uh, the first thing Debbie said to me was, you may have noticed I don't really fit here. And I kind of laughed and, and I said that I didn't usually fit in those settings either, that I'd always considered myself a little bit of an outlier. And she said, well, the main reason I don't fit is I didn't grow up going to church. And she began to tell me her story. She told me about growing up in a family with a daddy who hit when he got drunk, which was often. And she told me that by the time she was in middle school, she had turned to, um, to drugs and alcohol herself to numb that pain of being knocked around as a kid. By the time she was in high school, she also had turned to abusive boyfriends. Before she even graduated from high school, one of those boyfriends introduced her to prostitution. And so she had started working as a lady of the evening when she was 17. When I met her, she was in her mid-30s, and that was her nighttime vocation. And where we were was a small town. She had been arrested several times for solicitation. And so she felt like everybody knew that she was a, a bad girl, that she was a dirty girl. And she said, the only reason I came to this conference is she said, there's a woman named Carol who goes to church here. And she said, Carol comes to the restaurant where I work during the day. And she said, Carol, for the last couple of years, has just made a point of always sitting at my table. She asks for me. And she said, Lisa, she has been so kind to me. She said, she never looks down her nose at me. She always looks me in the eyes. She said that Carol had talked to her several times about God, left her several books about God. And she said, finally, Carol had started inviting her to this women's conference. And she said, I just didn't know how to get out of it because Carol's the only person in my life who has been consistently kind, consistently respectful. 
But she said, my, my plan was just to come at the very beginning of this conference, kind of show up, find Carol, and then slip out the back before anybody else recognized me or noticed me. But she said, right when I was planning to slip out the back, they introduced you and you walked up at the front. And I can't remember verbatim what she said, but the gist of what she said is that I wasn't what she expected. She expected somebody uh, a little more dignified, not, not quite as loud. And she said, and then you started talking about a woman in the Bible named Gomer. And you said she was a prostitute. And she said, I didn't know there were any stories in the Bible about women like me. And she said, you spent so much time talking about how much God loved Gomer, how he shifted her story so that she would just have to see how much he loved her, that she said, I found myself thinking if God could love Gomer, who seems to be a lot like me, maybe God could love me. And y'all, I will never forget talking with Debbie in the back of that church. And I thought, you know, my mama told me that pretty much when I came out of the womb, I was a storyteller. I love telling stories. But I thought the stories that I tell, if they don't serve as a bridge to take people to this story, this supernatural love story, then they're just noise. One of the last classes I had in my doctoral candidacy, we had to uh, come up with core values that connected our theology to our vocation. And y'all have noticed by now that I'm a windbag. I love to talk and I like to use big words, whether I know what their meaning is or not. But surprisingly, my core values were very, very simple. My core values for whatever life I have left are that every story I tell will lead people, people closer to the love of God, that they'll lean more fully into the love of God, lean more fully into His arms, and that whenever I tell stories, that people will become a little more intrigued by this book, especially people who have misinterpreted this as a punitive book, as a rule book, especially people who've been marginalized by other people who don't know how to wield this book and have used it for purposes it's not intended for, like a club. That's my hope. And that's my hope for this how much more. I hope that as we've, as we've perused these stories, some of them seemingly unlikely stories, to find God's love in, I hope you have, have found yourself leaning just a little more fully into his embrace. I hope you found yourself going, oh my goodness, I didn't know he was that kind. I hoped it, but my goodness, he's even bigger, he's even better than I previously hoped for. He's such a good God. I believe with all my heart that that refrain most of us learned in childhood, yes, Jesus loves me, I think it will get so loud that it will change our lives and quite possibly the lives of people around us when we begin to better understand and believe the Bible tells me so part. I would be remiss if I didn't take just a minute as we close to thank some heroes behind the camera. 
I want to tell you about two women that I love who have just been heroes in my life, and those would be my two bosses here at Lifeway in the Bible study department, Tina Bosch, who is uh, Priscilla, if I ever knew one, and Sarah Doss, godly women who are my bosses and who just reek godly integrity. I've got to give a shout out to Bill Cox. Bill has produced and managed the film and audio crew for every single video I've ever had the privilege of doing at Lifeway. So he's walked pretty closely with me for over a decade and uh, and still, still believes in me, even though he's seen where all the bodies are buried. So I love me some Bill Cox, his team of sound engineers, videographers, the one who's shooting me right now with a filter so I'll look younger and skinnier. They are godly men and women. I love this gang. Last but certainly not least, there's Mike Wakefield, who's my editor. And by the time you get this Bible study, he will have cleaned up all the unintentional heresy I spewed. He's a godly man. He's a great man. And then Carol Maxwell, who's one of my closest friends. She's also my makeup artist. So Carol and I have known each other for almost 30 years. She has caused most of these laugh lines. And then she very graciously covers up a few of them before I do projects like this. More importantly, Carol has prayed with me for 30 years. She will come alongside me and pray before, during, and after any of these projects. And in light of my friendship with people I get to do life with, that's kind of the last nugget I want to leave you with, with how much more. God created us in His image. And Genesis 1, 26 and 27 makes it clear that God is a Trinitarian God. Augustine says, only the Christian God is a perfect community unto Himself. So to be made in God's image mean that, means that we were wired for relationship. We were wired for community. If you aren't currently in a church, a church that talks about Jesus as the Redeemer of mankind. He's not a way to be reconciled to God the Father. He's the way. You need to be in a Bible-believing church, hopefully one that they don't encourage you to wear hose. You need to be in a small group or a Bible study with people who are honest about where they've gotten it wrong and ecstatic about how God has redeemed their stories. Don't do life alone. We weren't meant to, to run hard toward Jesus by ourselves. We were meant to live in a community. It's not perfect because we're not perfect. But find yourself a gang of girls who love Jesus and who love you and will point you to this book much faster than they point you to social media. Um, let's, let's pray. If you are still practicing social distancing in your group because of COVID, um, don't touch. If you are watching this and you don't have to practice social distancing, absolutely touch. Don't grope. Just touch as we pray together. Jesus, 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 our Savior and our accessible King, thank you, thank you, thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your nearness. Thank you that you are not a far away, dispassionate God, but you are an up close, personal redeemer. Thank you that you are always for us, even when we don't see that. Thank you that you've given us your spirit. He reminds us even now that we have the right to call the God of the universe who breathed everything we see and experience into existence. We get to call him 
Dad, thank you, Father, for your kindness. Thank you for your compassion. Thank you that you are always pointing us toward redemption and hope. Lord, we pray that even in this moment, you would quicken our hearts towards you, that you would increase our desire for these promises in this book called the Bible. Lord Jesus, we pray like the psalmist, that as the deer pants for water on a heart on a hot day, that our souls would long for you, that we would find our hope, that we would find our joy, that we would find our identity, that we would find our rest in you, Jesus. We ask these things by the power and authority of your name, Jesus, and the authority of, of the blood you shed on our behalf on Calvary. Help us to be a little bit more like Debbie, just discombobulated by your unconditional love. And we ask those things uh, for your purposes, King Jesus, amen. We just finished listening to the last session of How Much More with Lisa Harper, and we are so thankful that you joined us for these past several weeks to listen. We're going to leave these episodes up until August 31st, so if you need to catch up, you can still do that. Um, But now we would like to welcome Lisa back to talk with us more about the study and just kind of commission us now that we have finished it. This has been such a great few weeks of just listening to how much more. So, so thankful for Lisa Harper and thankful that she's back on with us to talk, just kind of close this out and think through the last, last week together. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So Lisa, when you like, I looking back on this and maybe just, you know, now post after writing it and everything, maybe some things that you personally learned, like how did it change you? Yeah, thank you for that question, Kelly. And thank y'all for letting me go on this little road trip with y'all. This has been um, just wonderful. I think the biggest thing I learned is that God's love for us, His mercy, His compassion, it's always bigger than my mind can comprehend. You know, I'm, I'm 58 years old. I came to know Jesus when I was about five. So I've been walking with the Lord for more than 50 years now. Um, and, and it always gets better. I, I feel like the, the longer I walk with the Lord, the, the truer his promises are to me. Um, I, I'm kind of undone. I feel like I'm more in love with Jesus and the truth of who he is through scripture uh, more now than I was when I had, you know, tight skin and high metabolism in my twenties and thirties. Um, I think the biggest truism I walk away with is his love is always bigger than we can comprehend. His love for us is always better than we assume. Mm. That's, yeah. I mean, isn't it great that we can still learn those things? I mean, I'm like you, Lisa, we're about the same age. And I, I came to know the Lord at an early age and you do like, I love that, that no matter how long we walk with Jesus, like we just mm-hmm. learn new things about him and, and who he is. So and we can always, yeah, and it gets Yeah, it gets better. I don't know if y'all had this experience, but when I was younger, um, and I I don't want to diss anybody I grew up with, but (laughs) I saw a lot of women older than me who seemed to get more rigid the longer 
they mm-hmm. spent um, in God's Word and in church culture. And I'm finding just the opposite. I'm finding more freedom, more liberty, more joy. And, and I think as I, since I'm approaching 60, I keep saying it because I want to be prepared when I get there in a year and a half. <laughs> but, but I'm finding, goodness gracious, it's better. I want to say to the younger sisters behind me, Y'all, it just gets better. It is so worth being all in for Jesus. It doesn't get drier. It doesn't get more stale. It gets more liberating. It's more life-giving. It's it's infinitely uh, more interesting and and transformational um, than I than I believed when I was a younger woman. So I, I want to say that too for the women who are listening. It gets better. You will mm. never you will never get fewer returns on the investments you make into your relationship with Jesus. Mm-hmm. That's so good and and a needed reminder, I think. So, speaking of that reminding and kind of that was a little bit of a challenge, but how would you challenge <laughs> the women who have completed the how much more study to live mm. out what they've learned in the past few weeks? Yeah, you know, I, I think we've talked so much about the the compassion of Christ in this study, even the reminder of how he laid down his scepter from glory and picked up a wet towel and washed his disciples' feet. Um, I, I'm I'm convicted when I go into God's Word. I want to give more of my life away, and I want to give more of my life away without any demand or expectations for reciprocity. We are living in a a really difficult season. There has been, goodness gracious, so much heartbreak, so much division, uh, so much chaos just in the last few years. And I think it is incumbent upon us who are Christ followers to go, okay, I'm not going to hesitate. I'm going to just be all in with the world around me, especially those who don't yet know the love of Christ. And and I want to reflect I want to reflect hope to them. I, I want them to see me different, not just that I carry this belief system, but that I have engaged with a holy God, and He's changed me, and He's changed my disposition toward the world. So I think there should be a real missional element as we walk away from this time together where we go, let me at them, Lord. I just want to, I want to mm. love harder the people you allow me to rub shoulders with. I think it's that whole concept of just being sent, right? You know, yeah. just yeah, yeah. Where how we go from here? So absolutely, okay. I think if you marinate in the mercy of God, you kind of can't help being missional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. That's like a we need to embroider that on some throw pillows or something. <laughs> <laughs> Cross stitch that, Elizabeth. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not. Y'all know me and domesticity do not mix. I cannot cross stitch. <laughs> oh, it's been a long time since I've, I've even said those words. Uh, well, Lisa, thank you for being such a an important author to Lifeway. We we are so grateful for the way that you um, we just we just consider you one of our own, you know, in so many ways. And so we are thankful that you have been faithful to just be obedient to how the Lord has called you to write for us and to publish, and you are at our events. And so we're so grateful for that. We do want to just end this time. Um, I know we started in the first session of you praying over the women, but we want to end this time with you praying over the women as as they live this out, as they take what they've learned, and it becomes just part of who they are. So we want to just end this time with prayer again. 
Oh, thanks, Kelly and Elizabeth. I'm honored to do so. Um, let's just, uh, we started this way, y'all, at the beginning of the summer. We started with, if you're in a place where it's safe, um, don't do this if you're driving or on the elliptical. But if you're in a place where you're sitting, um, would you just put your hands palm up um, on the table or, or in your lap, the posture of receptivity, and let's let's pray together with the confidence that the creator of the universe, the psalmist says, inclines his ear mm -hmm. to hear us. We don't have to yell. Um, our Heavenly Father actually leans in when we pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you so much that we still live in a place where we can um, where we can open our Bibles without the fear of being arrested. Uh, we are so grateful for the common grace you have poured out on us. Thank you that we get to turn these thin pages or scroll through our iPads and read what you've breathed to us, that you love us, that you're for us, that you will never leave us. Lord, we pray as your daughters right now that you would give us the grace to hang on to your truth in the static of this world, that that the words that are loudest to, to us would be the words that you've breathed, words about how much you love us, how we are your beloved, how with one glance of our eyes we've captured your heart. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would keep us stayed on your truths, that we wouldn't drift from what you've whispered to us this summer. Lord, I pray you'd give us a, a different, even mental image of who you are, that we won't see you anymore as angry with brows furrowed, but we would begin to turn our faces towards you in the confidence that you look at us with compassion, that even on our worst day, even when you have to discipline us, it's braided with mercy because you love us you're absolutely for us. Lord Jesus, teach us what it is to actually linger in your embrace, not just to lean into you, but to linger into your embrace. We love you, Jesus. Give us the grace now to lean into the world around us, to love people well for the sake of the gospel. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Seal what was good to our hearts. And Lord Jesus, anything I said in this study that would anyway be a distraction from you or your love for us, I pray that you would, through your spirit, just take it from the minds and the hearts of these, my friends, um, my sisters, um, so that everything they walk away from how much more with would actually keep them connected to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you that you've given us everything we need for life and for godliness. We love you, Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Lisa, for just being here and, and sharing your heart behind the study and allowing us to use this study over the airwaves. So you said uh, we had been on a journey together, and I imagine that we have actually been on some road trips this summer uh, through the power <laughs> of technology and podcasts. So yeah. thank you to the listeners for listening in. Um, yeah. And we're so thankful for you just praying over us. That's a sweet moment for sure. Oh, thank you yeah. for allowing me to. I, I love y'all. It is a, it's a privilege to be associated with you and with Lifeway and with Marked. Hmm. All right. We will see you again next week, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. 
If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifeWayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.